This thing on. I don't have anything written down or anything. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> How are we doing today? I hope you're good. And uh, if you're not good, hopefully this episode helps. I had this entire introduction put together about where my mind was prior to meeting my first guest on Life Math, Mr. Casey Kearns. Um, I had a few salacious tidbits and factoids at the ready, which all deserve their own episodes, honestly. But really, all I wanted to get across was this, that after 16 years in LA and feeling like I had lived 16 different lives, I was pretty burned out. When I arrived in LA, I was 24 and I was hungry for everything the city had to offer. And it fed me like a Vegas buffet in the 80s. There was more that I wanted to do in LA, but to actually do anything there requires a kind of energy and effort like few other places on the planet. And, you know, from the time it takes to just go to the grocery store and waiting in traffic to finding your professional path or even a partner in life you can depend on. LA requires a lot of energy. And I think that's why it's dominated by youth culture. But after doing just about everything I wanted to do there, I had become so spiritually exhausted and bitter at the general quality of life there that I knew it was time for a break. And I love LA, but to love LA is to never expect that love in return. You just find it wherever you can. And I guess, honestly, I needed some love in my life again. Even if it was just a stranger not being so self-absorbed that they actually said hi when I passed them on the sidewalk. So, I mean, I'll get into LA life in other episodes for sure. But for now, just know that in 2016, I moved back to Denver and Denver had changed dramatically since I'd been gone. And Casey was one of the first people I met when I got back that I didn't already know from before I left. And I knew from jump that either he was one of the nicest, most genuine people I'd ever met, or he was an absolute sociopath who used that kind of natural overt authenticity as a facade to lure people into a basement somewhere. Lucky for me and the city of Denver, He's the first, in spades. And until this interview, he and I never really sat down to chat. So I hit him up, suggested he, you know, check out some other episodes of the podcast, and then asked if he would be my guest. And he said yes. So this, you know, this series is about vulnerability. And just him saying yes was the first sign of good things to come. 
I had contacted a few people prior who blew me off, but he jumped right in and trusted that I was going to do something cool and different. And that's a kind of vulnerability and trust. For that, I want to thank him publicly right now, because as I've mentioned in you know, prior episodes, I recognize when someone gives me their fucks. I don't take them lightly. And with that simple gesture, he gave me his. So, Casey, thank you for giving me your fucks. I shall do my best to assure you that they were an investment. This interview covers a lot of different moments for Casey. I think that what he's experienced in regards to loss as a result of COVID, thousands of Americans have experienced to one degree or another, but I tried not to focus so much on the loss and more on the healing. If you're an empathetic adult, then you know we're all experiencing losses on some level right now, and actually always. So I don't think it's necessary to focus on that. I think healing is more healing than loss. So that's what I wanted to, you know, understand from him as best I could. So sit back, meet a very awesome fellow human, and uh, do what we all need to do a little bit more often. Just listen. I met you the week you moved back. Okay, that's what I was gonna say is Smoking I hate to be an asshole, but- Cold crush patio. Right. Moose Moose introduced us. And he looked like he had seen a ghost when you walked up. I remember that right. in particular. <laughs> He's just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, yeah. You were the owner of Metal Ark? Metal Ark Kitchen. And at that point, when I met you, how long had the restaurant been open for? Oh, probably a year. Um, so the place had been open for a year. Was it good? Was it like thriving or was it just like a normal? I don't, how's it, how's it, if you open up a restaurant, like what's good, what's me, you know, what's, well, like, what's like holy shit, it's popping. Good is paying all the bills on time, every time. <laughs> That's really good for any restaurant. Right. Keep the doors open. And we were doing that. I think I made $20,000 personally that first year. What were you doing before that? Well, I, uh, I managed this place called Baker Street Pub for about eight years. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom got really sick and she, she passed, but while she was sick, I quit so I could spend time with my family. It was, it was, uh, but during that time, my friend Jason had been building a bar and it took him about a year and I would just kind of keep popping in and seeing what he was working on. And right. he didn't have any bar experience. He, he knew how to hang out at him. So, so I was just going, I mean, he, he knew, going for it. Yeah, he, he just went for it, and it was a huge motivation for me personally um, to, to just kind of see something come up. So prior to opening up Metal Lark, you didn't have any... That was your first thing, too. That was my first ownership venture, right. for sure. Right. I'd been working for other people my whole life at that point, and 
got really sick of it. Pretty bad blows. It really does. And I was with my best friend Josh, who had been, at that point, Josh had already had been cooking for, oh, I don't know, close to 20 years. Right. It was just, it was crazy because like we were we were both sitting on his porch, and we were complaining about our bosses, and I was just like, stop, 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 stop. What are we doing? Right. I was like, what the hell are we doing here? I was like, we need to open up our own restaurant, and we both were just like, there's like this path like laid before us, and we yeah. could, we could see it. You know, and it was just like, okay, we're gonna do this. Like, what do we do? That's dope. And I, I was like, we find the money. And we made one phone call. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Then it was meant, that's it, definitely, if, if it's that easy to come up with the money, it was definitely it was, meant to be. It was crazy. So when you found the, the building, was it officially, it, was, it had officially turned into Rhino. Right? No. no. Well, I mean, they had named it that, I guess, but... It wasn't like... I mean, we were hanging out at the Metal Arc every Sunday. Right? I right. mean, it was... It was the goodness. Right. And, I mean, we were there. It was the place to be. Right. Smoke blunts, listen to the good shit. Yeah. Hang out with chicks. Hang out with all the boys. Connect. Right. So the by, by the time we met, I had moved back from L.A., Metal Ark had been going for a year. And we spent well over a year just building it. So I, I was about two and a half years deep on that space. Right. It was a food desert, which was very appealing to us. There was actually parking. Right. And then Cold Crush was across the street, so we were just, you know. So at this point, you should know that Cold Crush was a bar that was basically one of the only places in Denver for mostly black folks, um, but definitely hip hop heads of all backgrounds um, and gangsters and beautiful women and the occasional tourist who was lucky enough to stroll in on a weekend night uh, to find an extremely fun and diverse scene in Denver. And Casey's restaurant, Metal Art Kitchen, uh, just happened to be across the street with its own DJs playing. And as well as Metal Arc uh, Kitchen, there was Metal Arc the bar on the opposite corner. And in the summer, Metal Arc the bar had a day party called Goodness uh, that really properly lubed people up so that by the time the sun went down and and it was finishing up cold crush was just getting started um so it was normal to walk back and forth across the street multiple times catching vibes and you know on sundays it would start at 2 p.m and basically between the three places went to 2 a.m and, you know, for me, it was an unexpected haven personally and one that I and many of us still mourn the loss of to this day, because although Denver has grown tremendously in terms of population and business, it has yet to catch up culturally. So these places were essential. So we were just 
you know. How long had Cold Crush been there? They'd been up it for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah, they they had been they had been there. You know, I think by the time I got there, it really felt like dope. Yeah. It was a dope for me. It was a dope thing to come back to. Totally. This whole this little corner of the city is just popping hot with break dancers, graffiti artists, DJs. Yeah, it was it was an amazing thing to come back to. It wasn't a reach for us to go to Rhino because it was like, this is, yeah, this is our, this is our fucking town. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And so I knew where I didn't want to be. Yeah. Which is anywhere where hip hop is not. Right. Is where I don't want to be. Right. Right. Especially back then. And it was like, this is, you know, Cold Crush is here. Metal, you know, goodness is popping the fuck off. Like this is exactly where we need to be. Yeah, it just it felt really natural. We had this couple from Chicago, and anytime the flights were like fifty nine ninety nine on Southwest, they're like they would fly to Denver, <laughs> stay at stay at Airbnb down the street, and just eat three days in a row at the kitchen and fly back. You know, it was a it, it, it just it became so addicting even for our customers where they you know like they knew that they could come in and see me and right. i would introduce them to someone amazing right every time and people would like that was that was therapy for me i'd be like you two don't know each other right this blows my like you're the most amazing person ever right you, you won't believe what this person can do and like and i'd be like you guys have to talk and then they you know they'd close the bar down right you know it'd be like five hours later and then now they're you know years later they're still like just best friends right you know it's so funny i saw that over and over that kind of energy is not common no but i wanted it to be well right and, and like having detour it felt common there you know having thomas with his art and just his personality and how positive he is and what a teacher he is, you know, right. and just, I never knew it was going to be like that with him, but the more I got to know, I'm just like, oh, this guy is absolute magic all the time. Thomas Evans, or Detour, which is his artist's name, is also someone I'd like to have on here at some point. You should look him up because his journey as an artist has been inspiring from the outside looking in. And from what I can tell, and from what I've heard, he's incredibly open to discussion. And again, I think we all need more examples of the multitude of ways to get to wherever we want to go in life. And life math is about exactly that, the in-between times. The goals may be different, but I feel like the strength we muster to face those challenges and remain curious about where we can go if we push ourselves is universal. So anyways, back to Casey. You know, we have a special community here and it's completely misplaced right now. It is. It's it's really difficult for me to see. There's it's it's just it's not the same though. It's not, and I used to get that all and, the time. And I don't know people how people would come in and they would say 
this is a, this is a, this is the last one. This is the last place we have. All right, all right. I'm sorry to bust in again so quickly, but I think that this sets up an issue that communities all around the country are experiencing. The loss of local restaurants and bars is the loss of community. And the smaller the city or town, the more devastating. Here in Denver, black folks are the minority by a long shot. So without places like Meadowlark Kitchen and Cold Crush, it's really tough on the community. And even before COVID, there was a sense that we were losing places to go where we felt like we belonged and that we felt like belonged to us. So the kitchen is going, everything is good. I mean, was everything good? I mean, I had the most fun I've ever had in my whole life there. Okay. It's so funny, I, I remember we were painting, Thomas was painting the mural out back on the patio and I'm there with Oren and Musa, and Oren just looks at me and goes, so you're the guy that just gets to do whatever he wants. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I am. I mean, and, and, I, and I just sort of kind of kept that mantra, I guess, for the whole time. I was, like, I was like, yeah, people would always come up and be like, you need to do this, you need to do this, and be like, the answer's absolutely not. Right. Every time. Not that your idea might be good or whatever, but this is what Josh and I are committed to doing, and this is what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, we'd get people that wanted a DJ there all the time. You know, they'd come and, how do, what, I will kill it here. I'd be like, right. yeah, good for you. You just, you have to hang out. You right. can't just come in here and act like you're my savior. Right. Because I don't need you. Because Jib's killing it. Right. <laughs> you even take right. Jib's job? Right. No way. It isn't as cliquish as people want it, want to make it out to be. It's just people Let's... aren't willing to put in the time. All right. So let's let's um, shoot to right when COVID's like when you heard about it. Oh well, be a good person. Shout out to Julian. <laughs> You know, I was hanging out with Julian all the time and because they were just opening up right there in the behind the market and he showed me this this like app or it was like a like a gif or something and it showed this little dot over Wuhan and then it like just, it looked like right. a like a fucking zombie movie. Right. And I I just looked at him and he's like he's like this is real. And I was right. like, conspiracy, cuz, come on, dude. I know right. you're better than this. Right. And I was like, you are not one of these conspiracy motherfuckers. And, and he's like, no, man, I have friends that work in the hospitals in China. He's like, this shit is real, real, real. Right. And I was just like, okay, dude, that was, in, that was like probably the end of January. 2019 2019 yeah. <clears throat> and uh, it was so crazy like and so within I'll, I'll just say like we we had just been evaluated on our business as worth 2.4 million dollars mm. like that week mm. and we were riding high me yeah. and Josh just like all this hard work 
paid just off. countless hours yeah. every day all day every waking thought and like just you know we were just like man this feels fucking good i know i don't have anything in my bank account but i will yeah and then two months later it's all gone quite the rude way i mean you Fuck. know that that basically <clears throat> that time in february you could start to real. I mean, February is always slow anyway, you know, in the restaurant business, yeah. just because Denver's so damn cold. But in February, but um, we were like, okay, people are spooked. Yeah. Like they're not coming out. Right. We can feel it in the bank account. Yep. And we can see it just by the MTC. Like people are starting to get spooked. Do you think that the way that it's that things are now, you you'd be a, uh, the kitchen would still be around? No. I don't want anything to do with the style of the service industry right now because there's no relationship. The, no, you it's know, very... It sucks. sucks. Real, very transactional. Right. It's, yeah, it's like retail. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, that's not the business that I fell in love with. The businesses that are around now, they just had money in the bank sitting there or to to get through it i'll tell you i'll tell you one thing that josh and i realized early on was the level of food that we were executing we were the only ones that weren't millionaires <laughs> you know we had opened that place with two hundred fifty thousand dollars. you know and we ran out of money you know about a month before we opened and we had to ask the staff to work for free for a month yeah. And they were all about it. And we never would have gotten off the ground without that, you know what I mean? And like, granted, all these, everyone's lost. Like, I don't care how much money you have, you lost. Yeah, the industry is uh, in absolute chaos right now. What's the most difficult part? Seclusion. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm such a people person. Right. And to just basically mourn with your whole globe is exhausting. Yeah. We've all had enormous loss, whether it whether we've lost a person or a relationship or a community, it's been loss. And we're all grieving. Right. It was crazy too, because like I think it was that week before my whole staff got sick. Josh got sick. My server Nick got sick. Fredo got sick. I got sick. I never get sick. And I got so sick. And then I got strep throat. And we were all just like, what the fuck? Like, everybody's sick. Right. We're like, we have the rope right now. Right. It was terrifying. When we, we did, we got a really bad case of the flu through there. Like, the week that shit really hit the fan and right. we were all just like well this can't be like we already know how difficult it is to stay healthy when it's a normal society we we had a, just an, an exceptional health you know health code record you know the health department loved us and you know so we were always kind of thinking that way a little bit you know yeah. but it was just like this is this is nothing impossible. compared to yeah and josh will die so it was it was like we cannot be open and i cannot do this without josh right until he gets a vaccine or whatever but 
you know, we weren't even thinking about that back then. It was just like, we need to protect Josh at all costs. So the first day that you're home. I mean, I, <laughs> we just closed Vesta right. in the kitchen and we had a lot of booze and I drank a lot. Just fucking fucking warning. Putting it down. Yeah. You know, that's just, God, I didn't even know I liked gin until I had a case of it sitting in my apartment. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm drinking this now. Were you scared? Um, I was scared that my dad would get it. No, not, not about the, you know? not about the virus. Were you about your life? Oh, I was feeling completely defeated in every way. Just, I'm defeated. Like, your dream is gone. The $2.4 million is gone. Right. You know, I think what, you know, the one of the things I'm sure it happens to men and women, but do you think that men have a a sharper kind of hurt that comes with like oh you built this work with work with money with you know. I don't know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think like guys want to fix everything all the time. And there's some things you just can't fix. And it's very difficult for men to deal with. Whether it's cancer or a plague or losing your business. I mean, it's it's very defeating. I mean, it's... Where, do you, where does that come from? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, just me personally, it's it's always been... You know, I've worked with my hands, you know what I mean? Like, I I bust tables, I, you know, you, I built a restaurant with my hands, you know? Right. We built everything in there. And I don't know, I, like when my mom got sick, it was very much, uh, you know, we were always trying to like come up with ideas of what mom can do to get well. Right. But it's stage four cancer, there's no, getting better with her scenario and that was right. and that's where I, I kind of realized like okay we're trying to fix everything some things just cannot be fixed and you have got to come to that reality gotta find you like peace with that yeah because it's gonna hit you in the face one way or another at some point in your life right what's the worst way that you handled it the worst way. Did you fight more with uh, your girlfriend? Um, is that, more? Is that possible? Is, it, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that is that possible? Um, I've learned I've learned some tough lessons for sure with Carrie on what I can get away with and not. And just I mean, we were both <laughs> working. You know, she was a bar manager, like. The hours are extreme. Like we were both working really extreme hours for the, our entire relationship, and then it was like, okay, now it's just you two, all day, every day. <laughs> you know, at first I kind of like put this pressure on myself to, you know, try to just go above and beyond. Like I, I don't know, but it ended up like in what way? Um, just for her, you know what I mean? Like just to to try to 
be a good boyfriend. That's definitely been my motto. Yeah. And Fal, <laughs> Fal makes fun of me for it now. Where I, I'm just like, I have to go to this. He's like, be a good boyfriend, go do it. I'm like, okay, you're right, I have to. And I need to, and it'll benefit everybody if we... Yes. <laughs> if I do this. So, yeah, we've grown closer than ever, That's you know. Good. And it's, it's you know, I, we pray a lot, you know. We pray every dinner, and we and we, we eat a meal together every day. Like, it's important to us that yeah. we sit down. And you guys were doing that before. I but just we're lucky to get a meal in. Right. Is there anything you would change about your reactions to oh, yeah. everything? Like... Just have more faith. What we do is important. You know, how we treat each other is extremely important. You're like, what stops people from reaching out? And I think I think a lot of it is getting burned by people that really do take advantage of your kindness. And, and it makes it harder for people to want to open up because sometimes it can really bite you in the ass. You know, yeah. where you're like, oh man, I was vulnerable to this person. It's horrible. And they really don't care about me at all. Do you think you have, do you have a, a good circle around you now? I mean, outside, I guess. Outside yeah, of I mean, family. I can talk to Fal about anything. You know, yeah. I talk to Fal pretty much every day. That's good. And I talk to Jip every day. And I, you know, I talk to my dad every day. And, you know, people are around friends and they're just like, Casey, I need to talk to you. I know we don't have this relationship, like where I can... I'm like, bro, like, you don't understand. Like, this is who I am. Like, you can talk to me. And I'm not gonna just throw fucking dumb ideas at you that'll fix the problem because right. we can't fix everything, but I'll listen. As erupt as it may seem, I'm gonna leave it here for good reason. That reason being that it really sums up who Casey is and what this first series of Life Math is all about. He's one of the good guys. And regardless of his own things going on, and by his own account being burned for being vulnerable and available to other people in the past, he's still there. He's still here to do exactly what you've been doing this whole time, listening. For myself, it was just really good to sit with him and chat as a friend. I don't find those moments available too often, but I really enjoy getting to know my friends better. If you live here in Denver and you see him out and about, you'll have a better understanding of the man because of this moment. And if you don't live in Denver and never meet him at all, you'll still know him and hopefully you'll absorb the good energy and take a moment to check in on your own local version of Casey and let he or she know that you're thinking about them. But in the meantime, I'll leave you with this quick moment. There was a time when I moved back and I was in between TV shows and had some time. I ran across Casey in passing and he said that the dishwasher for the restaurant had quit or wasn't showing up or something along those lines. Me, not having anything to do and wanting to help, I offered my services. 
Now, you should know that I've never worked in a restaurant or the service industry ever, except Taco Bell when I was like 15. So, needless to say, I really had no idea what I was doing. And, well, I'll let Casey tell it. I think you even did a dish shift or two. I was waiting to bring that up. <laughs> you were the just most miserable wet dog I've ever seen, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all the girls on the staff are like, who is this handsome ass dishwasher? What is going on back there? I know, and I felt like you felt like you were letting me down. I did. But, but not in my well, mind. I was just like, I needed help that night. It didn't feel like I was helping. Oh, you were. But I had nothing to compare. I had no previous understanding of what it is to be a dishwasher. Oh, so, ass kicked. So, I, in my head, I'm like, all right, it's not a big spot. So, you know, what if there's like 10 tables or something? And I was doing all this stupid math sure. in my head. You so, didn't know that we were gonna serve 400 people dinner that night. Correct. My heart was in a good place. And it really was. And thank you, Casey, for letting me know I hadn't failed you because it actually did weigh pretty heavy on my mind afterwards. So, folks, that's all she wrote for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And if you happen to miss any previous episodes, you can find me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify under Life Math with Porter Laurie. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to repost and tell a friend or 600. Because even with all this technology, it still boils down to word of mouth. And I appreciate every syllable. In the meantime and in between time, be good to others and yourself. I'm out here. Peace. <laughs>